Good morning, church. Good morning. It's nice to be with you again. I feel like I was just here eight months ago. Wait, I was. But it's really nice to be back, and this time I get the opportunity to share with you about our ministry in Turkey, and then after that, I want to encourage you all through the word after that. So let's go ahead and begin. Yes, my better half's not here. My wife, Nomi. We met in Turkey. We've been married for, yeah, 20 months. Or as I like to say, a year and eight months. Yes, I still count them because it's still exciting. (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. I don't think I'm the same man I was a year and eight months ago. And that's a good thing. Praise the Lord. There's a lot of refinement that came through that, and it's super great. And it's super fun also to have someone to co-labor with, and it's just a blessing to have her on my side. She grew up in Turkey for 10 years between the ages of 4 and 14, so she speaks the language fluently, which makes me a little aggravated because I work really hard and she's still better than me. But that's all right. Next slide, please. We do live in Turkey, and Turkey's a very large country. It's about these area similar to the size of Texas, just a different shape. So... I'm in Antalya. I drew that nice little arrow. It's professionally done. And that's where we are. It's in the southern coast. We're out right on the Mediterranean. It's a beautiful place to be. It truly is. But it's also a really dark and desperate place to be in at the same time. So we we, we always have to fight that, to not let this beautiful facade trick us into not seeing the depravity of where we live. I also want to point out on on the western coast, there's a city called Izmir. And just south of that is where Ephesus is. And I just wanted you to kind of see where that is. You see Greece is is still west of Turkey there. I just wanted to give you a geographical image of of kind of the area that we're talking about because the encouragement will come out of Ephesians or the letter to the Ephesians in the book of Revelation. Next slide, please. I want to show you a little bit of my house. It's the question I get most like, where do you live? And so I just want to uh, take a quick, I just took three quick pictures of my house. And this is the entrance. That's kind of what you see when you walk in. Um, Yeah, it's nice. We were decorating for Christmas, and that's where I got those pictures from. So the houses are about how 90% of the world is built with uh, poured concrete, and then they put in bricks, and then they break bricks to make walls and windows and such like that. So it's really nice. We live comfortably, thanks to all of you. And this is a good time to say thank you to you as a church for supporting missions as a church. I think you give over half a million dollars in missions collectively as a body of Christ. And then there's still all the support you guys give individually without going through the church. So I want to say thank you to all of you as a body for supporting us and keeping us there. And I want to thank Pastor Mike and Pastor Dan for really building into the DNA that missions is part of who we are as a body at Coronado. So thank you all. Thank you for doing that for us. For the past two years, my main work has been with church planting, and I was a part of a church planting team, and we planted a church called Living Waters. It took one year of planting, two years of actually running it. It was very difficult to get this open, to be a legitimate entity with the Turkish government. We were the first church to open its doors in 20 years. And it's not because other people hadn't tried. It's because the government kept shutting people down. But we experienced the favor of the Lord. We were able to open. We jumped all their hoops, did it, crossed all their T's, dot all the I's that they wanted us to. And we were able to open, and it was fantastic. So these next pictures are going to kind of show you 
a little bit of what it looked like inside. But unfortunately, in January, in January we had to close down. That, that my teammates were facing a lot of persecution. They had smaller kids that were going to school and they were really having a hard time with the community at school. In Turkey, everything happens with relationships and community. You have to be accepted in. And these kids, they were having a really hard time. And the family had to make the very difficult decision of saying, we're going back. We have, we have to return stateside for the sake of our kids. And that put me and my wife in a very difficult situation because we knew that we could probably keep running the church and that would be the end of us in probably a year or we'd have to close it down and see how we can do ministry differently and so we were very sad to see it close and we knew that it was the work of the enemy that satan did not want us to have a presence in turkey but then when we fixed our eyes on jesus we saw the blessing that it was because we knew that when one church closed down it actually separated us into five different small group churches that are now meeting in Antalya. So we praise the Lord because now instead of one church, there's five churches in Antalya. So say amen with me. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we give thanks to God because he's so good and he's faithful to his work. So we're just really excited to see how, what the enemy meant for evil that God is using for the good and the benefit of the gospel. It's so neat. So one of our ministries, and I'm going to talk about the ministry we had and then how kind of we're adapting that now. We had an English club, 15, 30 people would come to our English club. We'd practice a lot of English. It's a lot of conversation. We don't teach grammar. It's just getting them a little bit more fluent and easy speaking, giving them better accents and giving them a lot of colloquialisms. And they get a lot of Texanisms from me, which is really cool. Um, So we meet. This is actually where we also have our church to kind of see how we're set up. Can you go one picture back for a second? Yeah. You can kind of see here, we've arranged our church as living rooms because it was part of our DNA to be small groups that came together and worshipped corporately. And that's what we wanted because we wanted our friends to feel safe coming over to our house and being with us in our living room. And it was an easy transition back into the corporate church because we were still in living rooms. And so it was really nice. It was really homey. They would come. Um, And actually, I borrowed from Toastmasters. One of our best things we did here was ask questions. There are things called table topics, and you get two minutes to talk about whatever the topic is or segue your way in. And so the more advanced people would segue their answers and talk about something different. But what it did for us, it allowed us to kind of see a bigger picture and range who is open to spiritual things. Because we got to gauge Where's their heart? Where's their mind? What, what, what is grasping their attention? What are their desires? What are their dreams? What are they focused on? And so it really helped us get a bigger picture of the group we had and who, was, who would be more interested in the gospel and how could we approach them to share the gospel. So it's actually a really helpful tool. And we love doing it. And now, since we don't have our building, we had to look for a new building. And so part of it is that the persecution in Turkey is growing We're starting to feel a lot more pressure for being Christian and unfortunately also for being American. So we face this difficulty that to find a new place for my English club, I went through 28 different landlords. Because as soon as they realized that I was American, to them, being American means you're Christian. If you're Western, you are Christian. That's what you're born into. It's not a choice that you make. It's who you are. It's identity to them. So as soon as they found that out, they're like, nope. We don't want you in our space. We don't want you in our building. 
27 landlords said no to me. And finally, the 28th said, let's do it. So I praise God. You know, this, this was a difficulty of facing this, this difficult time in Turkey. But we also know that it's also a good time to be in Turkey because we feel that we're right on the brink of a gospel movement in Turkey. And we don't, we, we don't want to miss it. We want to be there, you know. And so it, it is difficult to live there, but it's also just a fantastic time for ministry for us. So we're at the 28th. It's not as pretty as this place, but we'll make it into that eventually. We get the next slide. The other big thing we did was Christian cultural events. Uh, again, America equals Christianity. So they all know about Easter and Christmas. And so we get a chance to have an Easter service with them. And I invite my Turkish friends to our Easter Sunday service. And, and I get to tell them more and how... Easter is something better than chocolate bunnies and Easter eggs. I get to just share so openly that this is the day we celebrate the risen Christ. The victory we have because not only did he carry away our sins, but he made us victorious and he redeemed us because he's alive. And so it's really fun to be able to share that openly. Never in, in seven years before did I ever think that I would get to share the gospel so clearly in Turkey, and the Lord is just opening doors for that to happen. After that service, we went out and we had breakfast, and that's the typical Turkish breakfast where they put a bunch of little foods out, and you all kind of share the meals all together. It's a really wonderful experience, and it's celebratory, and that's what we're celebrating. Easter is a day of celebration. We also decorated for Christmas and celebrated Christmas, and again, we got to tell them why Christmas is so important to us. It's not just presents that we give each other. It's about the present in Jesus that he gives us in the and the free gift of life that he hands over to us. So they also celebrate similarly, but they celebrate it for New Year's. They have trees, so the whole city turns into like a Christmas village. But it's all for New Year's, and it's neat for us because we get to have all that available to us, but we get to bring that deeper meaning to them. And it's, again, really, uh, just a really neat opportunity. You can hit the next one. This couple we've been working with for three years, and, and all we've done is really plant a seed in their hearts. We don't... I don't know how close they are to, to becoming Christians, but we know that we're just living our lives before them and hoping that they see a change, hoping that they see a difference of the gospel and what the gospel does in, in our own lives and why we're so different. So we just continue to pray and hope that one day, whether through us or not, but we continue to pray and ask that you would continue to pray with us that God would water and that God would give the increase and that God would harvest. And if that happens through us, praise the Lord. And if it doesn't, still praise the Lord. Next slide, please. The biggest thing we need to do is get acceptance into the community. Again, if our community rejects us, then we don't have an in, and we'll be out a lot faster than we think we will. So one of the things is this young lady here. Her name's Kubra. We've been working with her for three years, and she is probably the most uninterested person in religious things ever. We've tried, you know, we have conversations and we try to turn the conversation spiritually and she just like shuts us down really quick. She had no interest and unfortunately last year her father had a triple bypass and it was a very scary time for her family and our team decided we're going to visit her at, at the hospital. We're going to take them food. We're going to stay and watch and pray over her father and we're going to be there with this family during this difficult time. They were so moved because they said, we have family members. And they just called and said, hey, I hope everything goes well. And hung up. No visits. Nothing else. And we were there with them. 
And the entire family was so moved that the week after the dad got out of uh, the hospital, it was her 21st birthday, and she said, I want to have my birthday party with my family. You guys are my family. So here we are having a Muslim invite all her Muslim friends to a Christian center to celebrate her birthday, and she's calling us her family. She brought in a group of, I don't know how many people that is, I don't know, there's maybe nine, ten different people that came because the results of her, we were being accepted. When our friends start inviting their friends because they feel it's a safe place to come, that is what we were looking for. And it was just a real joy to have her there and be able to celebrate. Can you click the next slide? And yeah, that's her. Her name's, if you want to keep praying for her, her name is Kubra. Kubra. Next slide, please. Yeah, the other thing we do is we do a lot of hanging out. We hang out at Starbucks because it's real popular. Everyone loves Starbucks. I'm not a big fan, but just kidding, of course. I love coffee. (laughs) Here we are. We just kind of say, hey, I'm going to Starbucks. Anyone want to come? Come hang out. My wife is the one in the sweater with ponytails or pigtails. I don't know what you call those things, but her. She's sitting next to my my best friend, Atalai. I've been working with Atalai, and we just slowly, again, it's relationship building. It's letting him see my life and opening up my life and being a part of his life to share the gospel. And, well, we're still continuing, so pray for him. But this young man is in the middle of getting his master's degree, and he invited his professor, which is the lady in black right in front of her. This, this lady asked me a question. I'd never met her, so we we're starting to get to know each other. She said, why are you in Turkey? Every Turk desires to leave Turkey and go to America. What is wrong with you that you would choose Turkey over America? And I said, well, I really believe that the Lord has called me to Turkey. I think he has something for me here, and I'm going to search that out. I'm going to seek what that is. And she says, interesting, but what could he possibly have in Turkey? I said, I don't know, but it's a special land for us. When I think of it, the book of Ephesians was written to Turkey. The book of Galatians was written to Turkey. The seven churches are in Turkey. Paul himself was a Turk. His missionary journeys, for the most part, took place in Turkey. It's a very special land to us. So she's like, wow, you seem very knowledgeable. Are you an expert? And I'm like, uh, no, I'm not. (laughs) But I study. You know, I read my Bible, and I enjoy studying. So she said, well, would you like to teach at the university? I teach tourism, and my students would love to hear this. She tells me, I don't think my students have ever met a Christian let alone have they ever heard what a Christian believes from a Christian, it would be such a treat. And I'm like, it would be a treat. (laughs) I'm in. So now all of a sudden, we're teaching at the university. Academically, again, things that happen that I never thought would be possible in Turkey, and the Lord is just swinging wide that door and saying, son, preach my word. Because now, without any hindrance, I get to share the gospel openly and clearly to a group of a captive audience that has to listen to me because they're going to have a test. Yeah, it's awesome. And here we are. So let me tell you the topics. Week one is on the life of Jesus. It's basically Christianity 101. Who Jesus is, what he did, and why Christianity is what it is. Week two was on the national hero Paul because he is a Turk. So I get to share the testimony and the conversion of Paul with a group of Muslims. And the last week, this one's the ironic one that I really love. 
as a missionary, I get to teach on Paul's missionary journeys in Turkey. <laughs> I love that one. Because it's, yeah, praise the Lord. Because <laughs> as you may know, it is illegal to share the gospel in Turkey. We're there undercover as much as we can be. We try to remain under the radar, but it is illegal. It's punishable by imprisonment. So to be able to openly share the gospel like this is just so amazing. We're just blown away by what God is doing. And so although we sense the pressure in Turkey is starting to crack down on Christians and we start to feel it, the week before I came, some of my friends were arrested. They were labeled as enemies of the state and kicked out of the country. And really the only reason why I think they weren't arrested and imprisoned was because they were women. And so we're starting to feel the pressure of being in Turkey. However, even with that pressure, doors are opening for the gospel, and it's such an important time to be there. So we will remain there until the Lord calls us out, and we're going to continue to be faithful to him in that land. So here's another picture of of the classroom, one of the classrooms that we were teaching at the university. Next slide, please. Um, again, my friend Atala, I didn't, I didn't know this until I was really developing my relationship with him. He and his brother are two famous musicians in my city. I didn't know this. And so they play six hours a night, no music in front of them, all genres of music, and they just play to entertain. And they said, you play, don't you? I said, of course. They said, play us a song. We want to hear a song. And I'm like, well, all I know is, you know, worship music, so I'm going to play you worship music. And they're like, okay, Sure. So I play them a song, and they're so taken back because they said, there is something different in your music. And, you know, for you musicians, you know, we play a lot of major keys. They do a lot of minor keys, so our songs sound totally different. But he said, there's something else different. What is it? And I said, well, my music playing has purpose. My playing is going up and blessing my God. My Lord is delighting and receiving praise from my worship. And they said, wow, that's deep. That's music like we've never heard music, and I'm not very talented. (laughs) So it was just really neat to, again, be a part of it. And they're asking me now, they're like, come play with us. I bet if we play, they go play at bars. And they're like, come play with us at a bar. I bet people would like this. And I'm like, "Mm, I think I'm going to pass playing worship at a bar. For now, maybe if the Lord lets me and tells me go for it, then I will. But for now, I'm going to pass. But again, it's just these, these talented musicians are asking an okay musician to come join them and be a part of what they're doing because they want other people to experience something different. It's pretty incredible. Next slide. And the last thing we're doing is refugee work. And uh, so with the church, it was easy because we could go out with, as the entity of the church and we were a little bit more protected because under our charter, we were allowed to do those type of things. Without our organization anymore, we're kind of on our own. So we're having to adapt how we do refugee work. But in Turkey, Turkey hosts more than 5 million refugees of whether they are Turkish themselves, internally displaced, Um, or Kurds who are also internally displaced from eastern Turkey. The east and the west are kind of in a bit of a civil war between Turks and Kurds. And then you also have the Syrian refugee crisis, and you also have the Iranian uh, refugee crisis. So we're faced with all this, and, and now we have this battle of how do we continue to work with refugees 
without getting in trouble with the government. So one of the things, this is a Kurdish refugee, and they go around in these little cards collecting recyclables, plastic, cardboard, and try to sell it to make their, their money. And so we decided with them, we're going to give them gifts. And you, so this one has that little white bag hanging off his, his handle. And then so the next slide, please. Here you see we're kind of distributing these kind of packs with a little bit of food, some chocolate, some socks, a hat, some winter gloves, because they're there all the time. And we just want to bless them. We, we had invited them into our building, offered them tea. Tea is a big thing. We drink about 10 cups of tea every single day because it's relationship. Someone invites you to tea, that's, hey, I'm sticking my hand out to shake yours. Are you going to reach out or not? So we kind of accept. And so we want them to feel comfortable coming to us because no one stops and talks to them, right? They're the, they're the refugees. They're the ones that pick the trash. You don't, you don't talk with them. You don't really shake hands with them. And we want to embrace them because we know that Christ loves them. I love that song we sang earlier that said, like, God is madly in love with you. And that's kind of what we want to portray to these people and just be accepting of everyone we meet. Next slide, please. And so this was our last uh, large food distribution because we could no longer go to the camps. And so, But I thought it was worth putting there because it's kind of cool that they have their own little Costco and we just buy a ton of eggs, rice, flour, and uh, garbanzo beans. Next slide, please. And then finally... Um, we work with Iranians, and the Iranians that we work with are Christian Iranian refugees. And it's, it, it's something that's near to my heart. I, I really love the Persian people. And for them, it's very difficult because they've come to accept Christ. But if they go back home, they will get killed for their faith. Turkey doesn't necessarily want them there. So they don't really extend visas. So many of them are just there illegally and they have nowhere else to go. And it's difficult for them to apply for asylum to the U.S. or the Canada or any European country because they don't have legal refugee status. And they're quickly becoming another people without a home. And so they're very close to our hearts and we love them. But they're some of the most generous people we've ever met. So we love hanging out with these Christians because they inject this faith right into you because they're living by faith like we are not. And so they're really generous, and here they are. They invited us for a lovely dinner to their home, and they said, we want to cook you a delicacy in our home. I was like, wonderful. I'd love to try it. So my wife and I go, and I was like, well, what are we having? And they're like, yeah, I think it's better if you just eat it first, and then <laughs> I'll tell you what it is. I was like, come on, man, just tell me what it is. He's like, I really don't want to. I think it'd be better if you eat it. I was like, just tell me what it is. He says, okay, it's cow stomach. And I'm like, bro, I'm Mexican. That's menudo. You're going to serve me menudo. You're my best friend. And you're going to serve me menudo on a Wednesday. Menudo is Saturday, Sunday food. You're my best friend. I love this stuff. He was so, he's like, oh my gosh, an American will eat this. I'm like, yeah, we will. Because it's good. Now, okay. My wife didn't touch it. She's like, you're disgusting. <laughs> so I ate her bowl. I got no problem with that. It was really good. So anyway, we're just trying to love on these people, be friends, and we're just blown away because the Christians, I mean, they're Christians, and it's just one of the hardest things because they're more generous than I ever am. And I try to outdo them, and I want to bless them, and I can't because 
they'll bless you right back. It's incredible just the faith that they pour into you. So it's just, it's just a wonderful gathering with them. And the Iranians, over the years, my kind of roles in Turkey have changed. And I helped out with the Iranian church when we were, you know, the pastor, myself, and five other people. And we've grown and we've split churches and we've multiplied and then split again. And so the Iranian church in Turkey is really thriving so we don't really worry about like their church because they have their own. But man, it's just fun to get together with them and love on them because, yeah, they're just wonderful people. And that's kind of our ministry and where we are. And now I want to go back to the word because I want to encourage you with, as I, I, was, I was asking the Lord, Lord, what can I take back to my church? What can I take back to this congregation and encourage them with? And the Lord said, well, share with them what you've been going through. Share with them the lessons you've recently learned. And I said, okay. And it was out of this uh, scripture. This is just another picture of one of the churches in Antalya. has a stained glass picture of all the seven churches. So each one of those represents one of the seven churches. And as I was praying, the Lord said, teach him this and share your testimony with them. So I bring this to you as a form of encouragement because I want you to see this. And I'm going to ask that you put that uh, the scripture back up because I'm going to read it. It's been like 30 minutes since we've read that scripture, so I want to get it right back into your mind. You can open your Bibles, but I'm going to read it out of the NASB. You can follow along in your translation. And this is how it reads, Revelations 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstand, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false, and you have persevered, and you have endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is such a beautiful letter to me because it's, it's God saying, I want to restore you back to me. I want to give you a way to come back to me. I love you and I desire an intimate relationship with you and I want you to come back. But it is a warning. And the warning comes with the consequence. And the consequence is that he will remove the lampstand, that he will remove the power and authority and the influence this church has and will reduce it to nothing if you do not repent. Because as much as these Ephesians loved doing right, so does God. And if the evil that God saw was in the church, he will destroy that church. And that's what he saw. But God in his sovereignty and his omniscience, he sees everything. He says, I see your deeds. So here was a church that was working. It was doing the right things. It was working for the Lord. It was doing all its religious duties. And then it says, I see your toil. So not just coming to church, not just attending prayer meetings. No, there's work. Toil involves energy. It, it, it's, a, it's a depleting of strength. 
These guys were working for the gospel. And he says, I see your patience and your perseverance for my sake. Ephesus was not an easy city to be a Christian in. At that time, around 90 AD, Ephesus was one of the major cities in the ancient world. Ephesus was the, the crossing point from the west to the east. It was, it was the entry port to the east, really. It was a major city of, of over a quarter of a million people. It was a large city. It also hosted a, a wonderful library, an amp, a theater that would hold 25,000 people. It also held one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. This place was incredible. It was a place of, of, of influence, of power, and of money. It was a rich city. So these Christians had their work cut out for them. Because as these cultures cra- uh, crossed, there was also a lot of false doctrine, a lot of false gods. Everything was coming through Ephesus. So it became this big melting pot of everything you can imagine crossed through there. So you heard of every false god, of every false teacher, of every false prophet. And God commends this church also. He says, you have held the true doctrine. You test the false apostles. You test those that claim to be apostles, and you found some to be false. Their doctrine was good. But I like what A.W. Tozer says about doctrine. He says, you might, a man might be straight as a barrel theologically, but just as empty spiritually. See the picture? It was easy to do. Then the Lord in verse 4 says, yet this I have against you, you've left your first love. So church, what is this first love that we've left? Well, this first love is this intimate, all-consuming relationship with Christ. That fellowship with Christ is the first love. Yet that's what they've dropped. They've replaced spiritual works. They've put spiritual works over spiritual fellowship. They cared more about the doctrine. They cared more about the work than fellowship with Christ himself. And I think that's really easier. I think that's really easy to do. I don't think that's hard. And this is where I want to share with you In the last eight months, six of those months were here in the U.S., and I was raising support to continue my work in Turkey. And so I'd been talking about all my ministry and what I'm doing, and it was exciting. Then I get to Turkey, and within one month, all my ministry is crumbling around me. My church is closing down. My English group is closing. Um, All my refugee work is closing. I don't know how I'm going to continue to do Christian cultural events. I have nothing left. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And so I jump into this maintenance role that I'm trying to uphold everything. And I get busy doing work. And of course, I think I'm doing it all for God, right? I moved to Turkey for God, not for my sake, but for God's sake. I'm a missionary for God's sake. Everything I do is for Him. So I'm trying to keep this church alive. I'm trying to, how do I divide this? Right? There's family with kids. The kids want to be with each other. It's an important part of church. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know what two families to put together because this is going to be bad. They're going to want to be with the other person. And all of a sudden, I'm just doing all this busy work. 
I'm trying to maintain, and I abandon my first love. Because in any given week, I might have four or five prayer meetings. Every day, I'm, I'm preparing for a sermon that I have to teach. Or I'm preparing for the small group Bible study that I have to lead. Constantly in the Word of God, I'm constantly reading Christian literature. Is it not all for Him? Am I not working for Him? So I think, well, I mean, within five different prayer meetings, I think I've covered everything I need to pray for. Do I really need to spend those extra time alone with him? An extra 15 minutes of prayer? Do I really need to read my Bible 15 more minutes? I'm already doing all this work. And I let that slide. And I too, like the church in Ephesus, abandoned my first love. I became so preoccupied with my, pres- my past accomplishments and my present troubles and, and my future plans that I left God. I mean, I'm doing all this for Him, right? But I'm doing it out of duty. I'm doing it out of loyalty to Him, not out of love. And I realized how easy it was. So I came back to the Lord and I said, Lord, how did I miss this? I'm supposed to be your man. Like, come on, how did I miss this? It was hard. Because I didn't think it could happen to me. And I think that's a big thing that we don't realize as we let spiritual pride say, that won't happen to me. And I want to share with you, you know, the Lord tells us, if you're in this position, right, he wrote this letter and he says, here's what you're going to do to get out of it. But what I want to present to you today also is, how do you realize you're in it? How do you realize that you've abandoned your first love? Because I don't really think that the Ephesians realized that they were doing it. I didn't realize it. I thought I'm doing all this for God. But I never checked my heart motivation. That it wasn't out of love. It wasn't, my work was not based off of an intimacy with Him. It was based out of duty. It's what I had to do. And I had caught myself and I said, okay, well, I'll go back. I'll start having quiet times. But I'm spending 15 minutes reading the Bible. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, today I got to go meet with the real estate agent. I got to go get that shut off. I got to get the electricity shut off and the internet cut. And I'm like, this is while I'm reading the Bible. And I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm not joining this and saying like, oh God, I want to commune with you. Speak afresh to me. I'm praying, but I'm not really listening to anything he has to say. I'm saying, God, here's what I have today. I need to find a place, Lord. I need to be able to have favor when I go in and shut these things down. And I'm replacing spiritual fellowship for spiritual work. And I wondered why I'm struggling for the past two months. But God was so faithful because he led me to this passage. And I want to tell you the last, this past month has been a month of victory. A month of walking closely with my God and enjoying every second that I get to spend with him. And here's how. So I asked the Lord, Lord, what are the warning signs that we need to be watching for? Just like in a car, sometimes I get a warning light and I don't know what it's for. It's a funny picture. So I take it to the mechanic and I ask, what do I do about it? We diagnose it and we fix the problem. So the same way, I want to give you some points to look out for that these might be warnings that you're abandoning your first love. So the first point I want to make is if you have stopped making it a habit 
to present yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, search me. That is your first warning. Because you think you don't need it. You think you're okay. And you've stopped asking the Lord to search me. So turn your Bibles with me. And we're going to look at Yeah, let's go to Psalms 139. I said this wrong in the previous sermon that I gave, and I quoted it wrong. But everyone knew what the scripture I was talking about, but I quoted it wrong. So this time it is 139. And we're going to be looking at verses 23 and 24. And I'm going to read out of the King James Version because I like how it says it. Psalms 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to make sure that we continue to make this a habit, that we continue to make it a habit to present ourselves before the Lord and say, search us. Know us. The next thing I see is, where's your joy? You're going to be flashing when you have no joy. Where's, where did it go? And what is joy? I want to burst that bubble that it's not happiness. It's not happiness. It's not putting on a smile and saying, hey, we're all good. This is wonderful. No, joy is something greater and deeper than that. Joy is the understanding of who God is, what he's done, and who you are in him. It's being able to give praise when times are difficult. We don't necessarily thank him for the difficult time, but we can thank him for different things because we know who he is. So he's a God that made the way. He's the God that will get me out. I may be crushed, but I'm never abandoned. I may be going through a hard time, but I'm not alone. Right? We can still praise him for those things. And so I want to read something to you about joy. And this is how... I don't know where it went. Here we go. This is how Rick Warren defines joy, and I really like it, so I want to share it with you. He says, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. That is a good definition of joy. That's what we need to have as believers. James 1, 2 tells us that we should consider it all joy when we face trials of many kinds. How can we consider it joy when we're facing trials of different kinds? Well, that's answered by the psalmist because the psalmist tells us that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. So we know that when we encounter and we put ourselves in the presence of God, we may and we will experience the fullness of joy. And so even though everything is difficult around us, we can rejoice in who our God is 
what he's doing and who we are in him. Not what we do for him, but who we are in him. The next thing that's a big warning light is the diminishing of your quiet times. The diminishing of your reading of the Bible, of praying, and of worship personally. Because, right, the Ephesians did everything right. By all accounts, looking on outwardly, they were a great church. They did all the right things. They did all the right activities, but their heart was not in it. Right? So it's a warning to, to be careful when you're having these quiet times. Is it out of loyalty that you know that you have to? Or is your heart in it? So even, and I understand we live in America where there's a lot of things fighting for our attention. Some of us have kids that we have to get off. We have work that's demanding. We have all these things. I understand that. So I'm not saying that you have to spend two hours with the Lord every day. But even if you spend 15 minutes with the Lord every day, what is the quality of those 15 minutes? Did you commune with God? Did you meet with Him? Or did you merely just read a page in a Bible? That's the difference. When you prayed, did you just ask for everything that you wanted or needed? Or did you stop and listen to his voice? There's that difference. And so that's, that's the difference of, of, of being in love with God. And when he showed me this passage, I just broke down because I knew what he was telling me. My lights have been flashing and my car won't even turn on anymore. But he's good, right? Because this is a letter of reconciliation. He writes this letter because he wants us. So he tells us, here's what you have to do. So now we know. It says, remember the heights from which you've fallen. What is that height? That height is that Christ first loved us. The height is that while we were yet enemies of God, he died for us. That we only love him because he first loved us. That's the height that Christ saved us. That he saved our sinful life. That's what we have to remember from where we've fallen. Recount the testimony. Repeat the gospel to yourself. And I was really excited of repeating the gospel when I heard it. And it, and it said about this, this lion coming out of that, of that tomb. And that really excited me. Because he went in the, the slain lamb. And he came out alive, victorious. And that picture got me a little pumped up, and I really liked it. And so it's recounting the testimony of God. And then it says to repent. So now that we've remembered from where we've fallen, that he saved us while we were yet sinners, now we repent. And repentance is, at first, accepting responsibility. I did this. Yes, it's, taking, it's saying that. But it's more than that. Repentance is the change in the mind that changes the direction of where you're going. Repentance is a broken heart and a contrite heart before God. Because God is judging our hearts. He's not judging our actions, is He? He wants to see our hearts. And when we come to Him broken, He can fix us. He's the potter, and it is scary, right? Just as we're presenting ourselves, saying, God, search me. That's a difficult place to be. But it's a good place to be because we know that God is good and we know that he will work these things for the good of us who love us, of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we can trust his goodness, but we know that it's going to be painful. 
And once we've repented, he says, do the works you did at first. So what are those works? I was recalling and recounting for myself when I first became a believer how sweet it was to read the Word of God and how I cherished the Bible and every word that it had. And I consumed it because I was getting to know this God who saved me. It was exciting. I remember praying and saying, whoa, not only can I talk to him, but he'll talk to me. This is exciting. And I had this love. It was fun. It was fresh. And it's going back to those things that we do normally, but with the right motivation. Because when it's motivated out of a love for Christ, it's the right motivation. And there's a difference in that. So church, it is quite easy to fall into the trap of abandoning your first love. But God is gracious to us because he desires an intimate relationship with us. So he's calling us back and he's given us a way to be restored to him. And I'm thankful that he's done that in my life. And I hope that this encourages you to seek for yourself and put yourself before God and say, God, search me, know me. And see, are are there any flashing lights in your personal lives And are there any flashing lights as a congregation? After all, this letter was written to the entire congregation of Ephesus. And as we know today, the ancient city nor the church are still around. So clearly they did not heed the warning that God put before them. But today, we can. And tomorrow we can. I was encouraged uh, by Mike Cloud. He told me, he's like, I'm so thankful you shared that. And he's like, I've it repeats itself. It happens again. And it's, it's a good reminder to continually be checking for what's flashing of warning before me. Because he said, I remember when I was there. And then a few years later, I went right back down to that. And I was there again. But I could see the warning signs. So let's go to the Lord in prayers. Becky, would you play one final song for us? Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you that you made the way, Lord. We thank you that you're the author and the perfecter of our faith, God. And we thank you that you will restore us back to you, Lord. I thank you that you're so gracious and kind to do that, Lord. I I thank you that, that you accept us as we are sinners, Lord. I thank you that there's nothing that we can do to make you love us more. So I pray that you would restore us, renew that passion, Lord. Give us a new fire to hold, Lord. Yes, Lord, we want to know more of you, Holy Spirit. So we say, Holy Spirit, speak to us again. Reveal what's inside of us, Lord. Transform us to be more like you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for all your goodness. We thank you that you desire this relationship with us. And Father, we thank you that you've made a way back to the Father. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.